edition with our resident historian teddy b ruxpin hey hello hi and uh i just want to say we got to talk about what happened the big news <laughs> and that was what because you were on the podcast why won't you date me i was with nicole Byer. it was wild it was really fun she's such uh, an amazing gem of a human um and i love her so much um, what did you guys get into? Oh gosh, we got into racism in sex work. We got it. I told her a bunch of shipper stories about like how I started dancing. We talked about cheetahs and the mass firing. Um, we talked about online shows. We also talked about soldiers of full slash strippers united. Yeah. Hey, love it. I love the whole roundup and, and just all of that. And I'm also like really happy that she's like, bringing on sex workers and stuff like you and am and stuff it's just like it's good it's good for the world (laughs) it's good for a mass audience to hear (laughs) it is it's good to hear someone who actually wants to talk to us before talking about us which i really like yeah definitely (laughs) um okay well this is the mini-sode and we have some history to get into and um this one uh, was actually suggested to me by uh, one of my Instagram friends, uh, Jin <laughs> Kazama. And I don't know if I said uh, her name correctly. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry if I didn't. But she's so funny. An amazing memer. Um, makes me laugh. Makes me giggle all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also she's she's just full of thirst traps too because she's very hot so you know she's got brain well-rounded she's got booty she's got a very cool uh forehead tattoo very into it all right Ooh. so um i'm gonna give my my little book report and then teddy's gonna come in and um and correct me in a good way <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so a, a quick content warning um, for rape and being sold into sex work and a poorly negotiated kink question mark. I am, I should not have had sparkling water before starting this episode because I am full of burps. Um, so I got my information from Wikipedia and other places and it will be in the bio. So... Sada Abe was born May 28, 1905. She was the seventh of eight children in a, a Shigeyoshi and Katsuabe, an upper middle class family of tatami mat makers in Tokyo's uh, kan- er, Kanda neighborhood. Her, her mother allowed her to do as she wished and encouraged Sada to take lessons in singing and in playing the shamisen. Both activities, which at the time were more closely associated with geishas and prostitutes than classical artistic endeavors. Um, geishas were considered glamorous celebrities at the time, and Abe herself pursued this image by skipping school for her musical lessons and wearing stylish makeup. So just for clarity, geishas are not the same thing as what, what is it? It's, it's like uh, Oni or... Uh, 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 
But geishas aren't oh. the sex worker ones. No, they're not. They're just performers. Well, not just performers, but performers. But they're, yeah, they're like hot performers, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway. Um, oh, is it Oniron? I think it is. Oiron. I'm trying to remember. Oiron, right? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> As family problems uh, with her sister, Teruko, and her brother, Shintaro, uh, became more pressing, Abe was often sent out of the house alone. She soon fell in with a group of similarly independent teenagers. At the age of 14, during one of her outings with this group, she was sexually assaulted by one of her acquaintances. Her parents initially defended and supported her, but she became a difficult teenager. Sounds like some PTSD. As Abe became more irresponsible and uncontrollable, not worth, I mean, dealing with stuff, as she had more trouble dealing with shit, her parents sold her to a geisha house in Yokohama in 1922, hoping to find her a place in society with some direction. To become a true star among geisha required apprenticeship from childhood with years spent training and studying arts and music. As such, Sada never progressed beyond a low rank, um, at which one of her main duties... Well, actually, so no, I feel like this is a bit of mis- miswriting, um... But, okay, so it seems like she was actually an oiron because, like, one of her main duties was to provide sex for clients. Um, so she worked for five years in this capacity and eventually contracted syphilis. Since this meant she would be required to undergo regular physical examinations, same as a legally licensed full-service sex worker, Abe decided to enter um, a different profession. Um, so she began to work... Uh, as a full-time, full-service sex worker in Osaka's famous Tobita brothel district, but soon gained a reputation as a troublemaker, which I kind of love. (laughs) (laughs) She stole money from clients and attempted to leave the brothel several times, but was soon tracked down by the well-organized legal prostitution system. After two years, Abe eventually succeeded in escaping the licensed prostitution system and began working as a waitress. However, not satisfied with the wages, she soon returned to working as a full-service sex worker again, though now unlicensed, and began working in the unlicensed brothels of Osaka in 1932. What a time to be alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're all unlicensed now uh, because prostitution is illegal but a fun fact and i think it's fun because she's a waitress uh those brothels specifically in the neighborhood she used to work in uh closed for one day um when the prostitution prevention law came into place and then they reopened the very next day as restaurants and they're all restaurants now and under a very very uh weekly interpretation of that law interesting you can serve tea and snacks we so we sell food. Well, they call them whatever snacks, happens between right? you they, and the yeah, yeah. But whatever happens between you and the waitress is a private affair, and yeah. the restaurant doesn't condone it, and it's your own business. Is how they get around it. Definitely. I mean, it's so interesting because, like, whenever you go to Japan, if you're in Osaka or if you're in Tokyo, like the red light districts are like so clearly delineated. It's like obviously there are love hotels like every street you know like Mm -hmm. right next to each other and you know like offer and they're also like you know all of the rentals are like do you want an hour or do you want two hours (laughs) like it's Mm -hmm. it's clearly not for sleeping i mean unless it's very obvious what they're for it's very obvious yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but I think it is really interesting that they, they changed that name and that it, or that, you know, they changed from being brothels to being restaurants. And then the, the colloquial term is like getting a, going for like snacks and stuff or these snack mm-hmm. places. They're in a trade association too, which I find really fascinating. A lot of those Japanese mm-hmm. brothel restaurants are like in huge trade associations with each other, That's so interesting. which I find really wild. Yeah. I love that. So they, they have some like. Huh. collaborative price setting and stuff like that and interesting mm-hmm. very interesting um yeah. okay so um abe's mother died uh january 1933 and abe traveled to tokyo to visit her father and her mother's grave she entered into the full service sex work market in tokyo and while there became a mistress for the first time Her father became gravely ill in January 1934. Oh, that's kind of cute. They wanted to die together. Hmm. So Abe nursed him for 10 days until his death. This is like, it's so precious. He he died of a broken heart. I'm going to say he died of a broken heart. It's only a year apart, guys. And in January, the same month. Okay. I agree. I agree. (laughs) Okay, in uh, October 1934, Abe was arrested in a police raid on an unlicensed brothel while she was working at the time. Kinosuke and uh, Kinosuke Kasahara, a a well-connected friend of the brothel owner, arranged for her release. Kasahara was was attracted (laughs) to Abe, finding that uh, she had no debts and with Abe's agreement, made her his mistress. He set up a house for Abe on December 20th, 1934, and also provided her with an income. Their relationship was tumultuous, with Kasahara later telling the police of Sada's incomparable sex drive. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't take it. Uh, Suddenly a southern voice. I'm not going to make a Japanese accent, okay? No, I think the southern voice is fine. I couldn't take it. (laughs) Um, Sada Abe, in turn, said that he would not let her leave, but it did eventually um, escape him and left for Nagoya. In Nagoya in 1935, again, intending to leave the sex industry, Abe began working as a maid at a restaurant. She soon became romantically involved with a customer at the restaurant, Goro uh, Umiya, a professor and banker who aspired to become a member of the Japanese government. Knowing that the restaurant would not tolerate a maid having sexual relations with clients, hmm, and having become bored with Nagoya, she returned to Tokyo in June with uh, Omiya, who suggested she enter the restaurant business. That's also pretty interesting. I didn't, I mean, it's like a restaurant would not allow the maid to have relationships with clients. I'm also like, is this also a snack restaurant? But it also seems... No, I think at this point she had moved into... Civvy industry. Food restaurants. Yeah. Civilian stuff. Well, she was back in civvy world. So, um, (laughs) Abe began work as an apprentice at the Yoshidaya restaurant on February 1st, 1936. The owner of this establishment, Kichizo Ishida, had become known as a womanizer with uh, the actual running of the restaurant being 
prominently or primarily done by his wife. Not long after Abe began working at Yoshidaya, Ishida began making amorous advances toward her. Omiya had never sexually satisfied Abe, and she was responsive to Ishida's approaches. In mid-April, Ishida and Abe initiated their sexual relationship in the restaurant to the accompaniment of a romantic ballad sung by one of the restaurant's geishas. Wow. Atmospheric. Very beautiful. Pretty romantic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of awkward for the geisha, though, I feel. For yeah. <laughs> you know Serenading. You know what? If you Sometimes if you're a sensual entertainer, you know, you'll just... You, it's it can be fine to be a voyeur or, <laughs> or provide some ambiance to other people getting it on. <laughs> uh, um, so on April 23rd, 1936, Abe and Ishida met for a prearranged sexual encounter at a tea house or uh, Makai or Machai? Machai? Machai. Machai? The contemporary equivalent of a love hotel. Planning mm-hmm. only for a short fling, the couple instead remained in bed for four days. Wow, it must have been really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the night, we were both in relationships. Yeah, I know. So they like, they just like disappeared. They just peace out for four days. Like no, no, no. I'll see, see you all later. See you. We'll be back. Oh, wife and man to whom I'm also a mistress. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, so. On the night of, sorry, Ishida did not actually to return to his restaurant until the morning of May 8th after an absence of about two weeks of Ishida. Abe later said, it is hard to say exactly what was so good about Ishida, but it was impossible to say anything bad about his looks, his attitude, his skill as a lover, the way he expressed his feelings. I had never met such a sexy man. Go all for him. Ringing endorsement. That's uh, great. I'm also like just very happy for her. It sounds like she had pretty tumultuous times prior. So good for her. Yeah. After their two week encounter ended, Abe became agitated and began drinking excessively. She said that with Ishida, she had come to know true love for the first time in her life. And the thought of Ishida being back with his wife made her intensely jealous. Just over a week before Ishida's eventual death, damn, Abe began to contemplate his murder. On May 9th, 1936, I'm sorry I'm laughing about murder, but I'm just like... Are you like anticipating what's to come? Well, I just think it's like, it's so, you know, it's very... um, novella you know like i <laughs> he's so hot i have to kill him I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he can't be alive without me <laughs> too sexy to live too sexy to live um so on may 9th she uh 9th 1936 she attended a play in which a geisha attacks her lover with a large knife after which she decided to threaten nishida with a knife at their next meeting on May 11th, Abe pawned some of her clothing and used the money to buy a kitchen knife. She later descri- described meeting Ishida that night, quote, I pulled the kitchen knife out of my bag and threatened him as he had been done or as had been done in the play. Ishida was startled and drew away a little, but he seemed delighted with it all. <laughs> oh, man, this guy. 
I don't know. I feel like he continues to to be one of my favorite characters in this story. Oh, he's just vibing. <laughs> he's just vibing. Ishida and Abe return to Oku, where they re- uh, remained until his death. During their love making this time, Abe put the knife to the base of Ishida's pen- penis. Penis. <laughs> penis. <laughs> pen one five. And said she would make sure he would never play around with another woman. Ishida laughed at this. Ha ha. <laughs> Two nights into this bout of sex, Abe began choking Ishida. And he told her to continue, saying that this increased his pleasure. He's very, <laughs> he's a very kinky girl. <laughs> Not the kind you take to mama. Um, okay, so she had him do it to her as well. Some breath play going on. I, I feel like reciprocating, have, you know, reciprocal. And it sounds at this point consensual breath play and uh, some kinks happening. Um <laughs> On the evening of May 16th, 1936, Abe used her obi to sash to cut off Ishida's breathing during orgasm, and they both enjoyed it. They repeated this for two more hours. Just like, they're just really like fucking and fucking and fucking. Fucking, yep. Like, I know know where this is going, and (laughs) not ready for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Once Abe stopped the strangulation, Ishida's uh, face... So they repeated this for two more hours. Once Abe stopped the strangulation, one of the last ones, Ishida's face became distorted and would not return to its normal appearance. Ishida took 30 tablets of sedative called Calmotion to soothe his pain. 30 tablets. According to Pop Abe, neck. as Ishida began, started to doze, he told her, quote, You'll put the cord around my neck and squeeze it again while I'm sleeping, won't you? If you start to strangle me, don't stop, because it's so painful afterward. Unquote. Damn. Abe uh, commented that she wondered if he had wanted her to kill him, but on reflection decided he must have been joking. At two in the morning of May 18th, 1936, as Ishida was sleeping, Abe wrapped her sash twice around his neck, and strangled him to death. Damn. This is so... It's like, oh, wow. What... She went for it. <laughs> there has to be a movie about this. I know that there's a movie, and I just have no... Multiple. Idea. I have no... Multiple? Mm-hmm, multiple documentaries, drama movies, books. Oh. We'll get into that after. <laughs> okay, we will. We will. Okay. Um, movie night, guys. Movie night. <laughs> um, so she later told the police, quote... After I had killed Ishida, I felt totally at ease, as though as though a heavy burden had been lifted from my shoulders, and I felt a sense of clarity. End quote. Wow. <laughs> After lying with Ishida's body for a few hours, she next severed his penis and testicles with a kitchen knife. Kitchen knife brought back around, circled back. <laughs> is this called check off a clap back or a callback? who's to say um so she wrapped them in a magazine cover and kept them until her arrest three days later i'm like cringing and you can't see my face with the blood she wrote sada ishida no kichi uh, futari kiri we sada and kichizo ishida are alone on ishida's left thigh and on a bed sheet and then carved sada 
the character of her name, into his left arm. After putting on Ashita's underwear, she left the inn at about 8 a.m. telling the staff not to disturb Ishida. <laughs> I'm just, You're like, cringing so I'm hard. just like, holy shit. I was whole like, chat. <laughs> uh, okay. It makes me feel like I'm way too calm. <laughs> no, it's like, but you, knew, it but you knew. Like, you were prepared. I mean, I think it's just the details of it. I mean, it's intense. And that's why there was a content warning ahead of this. And um, here we are. This is what this, mm-hmm. this is. This is where this crazy train has taken you. Um, <laughs> after leaving the inn, Abe met her former lover Goro Umiya, or Umiya, um, and she repeat, repeatedly apologized to him. But Omiya, unaware of the murder, assumed that she was apologizing for having taken another lover. <laughs> In actuality, Abe's apologies were for the damage to his political career that she knew his association with her was bound to cause. After Ishida's body was discovered, a search was launched for Abe, who had gone missing. On May 19, 1936, the newspapers picked up the story. Omiya's career was ruined, and Abe's life was under intense public scrutiny from that point onwards. The circumstances of Ishida's death immediately caused a national sensation. The ensuing frenzy over the search for Abe was called the Abe Abe Sada Panic. Wow. Um, on May 19th, 1936, Abe went shopping and saw a movie. Under a pseudonym, she stayed in an inn in Shinagawa on May 20th, where she had a massage and drank three bottles of beer. She spent the day writing farewell letters to Umiya, a friend, and Ishida then practiced necrophilia with Ishida's severed genitals. And that's a sentence that I just read, Okay. <laughs> this is life guys this is real life okay um abe planned to commit suicide one week later but at four in the afternoon police uh detective suspicious of the alias under which abe had registered came into her room um and to to that she said don't be so formal you're looking for sada abe right well that's me i am sada abe (laughs) When the police were not convinced, she displayed Ishida's genitalia as proof. You know, as one does. She's about it. <laughs> She's like, no, that's me. She's like, yeah, I did it. What about it? I mean, she signed her name on him. She wasn't trying to hide yeah, anything. She, she literally cut her name into his flesh. So that's what happens. So anyway, she was arrested and interrogated over eight sessions. When asked why she had severed Ishida's genitalia, Abe replied, Because I couldn't take his head or body with me. I wanted to take part of him, the part of him that brought back to me the most vivid memories. A little memento. A little memento. Okay. The first day. <laughs> okay. The first. <laughs> the first day, you can make it <laughs> the first day of Abe's trial was uh November 25th 1936 and by 5am crowds were already gathering to attend just under a month later Abe was convicted of murder and mutilation of a corpse though the prosecution demanded 10 years and Abe claimed that she desired the death penalty she was in fact sentenced to just six years in prison in prison 
uh, Abe was confined to uh, Tochigi Women's Penitentiary, where she was prisoner number 11. Her sentence was commuted on November, or November 10th, 1940. So literally only four years for this. I mean, but also I guess it was a bit of a consensual murder, but I'm like, what? Okay, on the... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, continuing. On the occasion of uh, the 2600th anniversary celebrations of the mythical founding of Japan, when Emperor Jimu came to the throne, Abe was released um, exactly five years uh, after the murder on May 17, 1941. The police record of Abe's interrogation and confession became a national bestseller in 1936. Upon release from prison, Abe assumed an alias. As the mistress of a, quote, serious man, she referred to in her memoirs as Y. She moved first to um, Ibaraki Prefecture and then to Saitama Prefecture. When Abe's true identity became known to Wai's friends and family, she broke off their relationship. In 1946, the writer Ango Sakaguchi interviewed Abe, treating her as an authority on both sexuality and freedom. Who could have guessed that? Okay, in in 1947, Ichiro Kimura's The Confessions of Abe Sara became a national bestseller with over 100,000 copies sold. The book was also in the form of an interview with Abe, but was actually based on the police interrogation records. As a response to this book, Abe wrote her own autobiography, Memoirs of Abe Sara, which was published in 1948. In contrast to Kimura's depictions of her as a pervert, she stressed her love for Ishida. Abe capitalized on her notoriety by appearing on several, or for several years, starting in 1947 in a traveling one-act performance stage show called <laughs> Showa Ichidai Ona, a woman of the Showa period, under the direction of dramatist Nagata Mikihiko. Um, this is the last page I'm writing. I'm just telling you guys. There's just so much to know, okay? So There's much. so much. In 1952, she began working at the um, Hoshikikusi, a uh, working-class pub in the Inari-cho in downtown Tokyo. Abe lived a low-profile life in Tokyo's Shitaya neighborhood for the next 20 years, and her neighborhood restaurant associate gave her a <laughs> model employee award. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I believe it. More than once... During the 1960s, film critic Donald Ritchie visited the uh, Hoshikikusui. Kusui? Oh, God, I'm so. My bad, you guys. No, you're doing okay. You're doing really good. I feel good. like I'm doing okay. I feel like I'm doing okay. I've, I've watched enough anime through the years. I'm yeah. Okay this. I was preparing my whole life. Okay, in his collection of profiles, Japanese portraits, he describes Abe making a dramatic interest or entrance into a boisterous group of drinkers. She would slowly descend a long staircase that led into the middle of the crowd, fixing a haughty gaze on individuals in her audience. The men in the pub would respond by putting their hands over their crotches and shouting things like, hide the knives. And <laughs> I'm afraid to go and pee. 
Abe would slap the banister in anger and stare into the crowd in uh, into an uncomfortable and complete silence, only to then continue her entrance, chatting and pouring drinks from table to table. In 1969, Abe appeared in the Sada Abe incident section of director Teru Ishii's dramatized documentary History of Bizarre Crimes by Women in the Meiji Taisho and Showa eras. The last known photograph of Abe was taken in August of that year. She disappeared from the public eye in 1970. When the film In the Realm of the Senses was planned uh, in the mid-1970s, director uh, Nagisa Oshima apparently sought out Abe and, after a long search, found her. Her hair cut short in a Kansai nunnery. It is unknown mm-hmm. when Sada Abe died, but her notoriety lives on. The most recent art is uh, Okubo Christine's, uh, nine, or that's 2019, uh, nickname Flower of Evil, nickname Flower of Evil, the Abe, Abe Sada story, a nonfiction novel. And uh, that's my end of this historical ho. I. <laughs> Yay! Woo! <laughs> I mean, uh, so many twists and turns, and, and no surprises that this has, you know, has a life in cinema and and literature. Oh, and definitely! Cinema. People love a good castration. Uh, people do. I, I mean, it's... yeah, it makes you think of what is it, Lorena Bobbitt? But yes, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I watched the Lorena Bobbitt story documentary and I felt really bad for her in the end. I, you know, as much as I don't cont- condone genital castration or, or anything. I mean, unfortunately, in her case, he lived, so. Yeah, that's true. He was fine and they reattached his, his penis, his pain pain. Yeah. <laughs> Sada Abe took care of it. She's like, that is not happening. He's like, no, 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 you die first. I mean, you know what? There's a kindness to it because she she took it off after he was dead. Yeah, he didn't know. He didn't know. But I'm also just, I think, you know, the part that really like got me was the 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 necrophilia part. I guess the, the I guess the fellatio on the severed penis. And the multiple attempts at penetration, but she yeah. couldn't get it to happen. I know. How do you do that? I, you can't. You have to get. You have to get. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not advocating for necrophilia. But you have to get someone hard before you kill them, and then find a way to preserve. Keep that. it going. If you can angle the body so that the blood flow continues, rigor mortis will hit, and the erection will stay. So. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. But you have to keep. It's it a lot hard. of work. It's a yeah, lot of work. it's a lot of work. And also, but would that even work if it was separated from the body? That's a good question. I don't know if that would hold. I think that's why necrophilia is usually um, on a, a penetrative corpse. act. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. Penetration, definitely. There's kind of really one way you can get it to mm-hmm. go. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Logistics. <laughs> that's the most mm-hmm. important part of the story. <laughs> They're necrophiliacs listening to this. Going to be listening to this being like, finally, we understood. (laughs) You understand how hard it is. Yeah. I mean, this is such a wild life. Like, it's interesting because she's definitely like a person who like, 
I don't know, existed and lived during this like deeply transitional period in like Japanese history, like from. But it's part of what made her so like so stuck into Japanese pop culture. I mean, not just the wildness of the act because like Lorena Bobbitt was wild, but I would argue that I don't think that has had the impact on like American culture that Sada Abe had on Japanese culture. But I think that's just because she happened to lop his dick off at the perfect time to do that at this transitory, like post-war period um, in Japanese society, uh, like right on the heels of a coup which is also part of like why the story was so popular when the theories is people were so depressed because there was just like a large scale coup that they're like, oh, something fun, something like light, like, not oh, lighthearted, but- Isn't this wild? <laughs> yeah, like a good, a solid love scandal. Um, you know, she killed him for love instead of jealousy, which really uh, set it apart. And then also when she did it, was just about the time that um, Ero, Eroguro and Eroguro Nanosesu erotic gore and erotic gore nonsense um were both taking off um erago nanosesu is arguably i would argue it's still a thing i'm not gonna argue with the professionals it's not a thing anymore eroguro if you've been on the internet um since like the early 2000s you know is still a thing but she just happened to do it right at the time where there was a pornographic movement about stuff like that so it really just it coalesced too perfectly in a sense she was like the perfect celebrity of that moment yeah i mean because it was popular and people were like hey uh, yeah i mean it's like interesting that she like did spend time like as a geisha and oiran and stuff like because i mean that was just becoming significantly like less popular because it was like this period of like well not like more modernization kind of and mm-hmm. and westernization a bit of a, like, to some degree a lot of westernization a lot of a like lockdown on stuff like that and so therefore kind of a move away from even like conceptions of sex and sex work in japanese culture that had been held for a really long time and some more like westernized views of sex and culture um, and as we know, westernized views of sex are way more boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely way less interesting and way less, like, integrated into, like, the day-to-day and decorum of, like, status and stuff as as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. But what a wild story. I mean to go from like this is the best sex I've ever had and being kind of pussy whipped and then it's kind of mutual and then they have a lover's retreat and it's going so well and they both try out breath play and it's very fun but it went a little far and she was like let's take it as far as we can go (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're both like (laughs) well I mean it's also I guess it's hard to tell like what his take was because I mean he was (laughs) (laughs) Because he was enjoying this and wanted to die. (laughs) And she's the one who lives to tell the tale, so... Mm -hmm. So we don't... He could have been like, I mean, it was fine, but (laughs) I didn't think it was all that. Yeah. We will never know. Is this... Hmm? You go, you go. I was like, there's this theme in her relationships, which um, mimics a really interesting theme um, in Japanese culture of the time, 
which was kind of this emphasis in that the men that she was with could have mistresses, but she, even as a mistress, could not have relationships outside of them. And the same would be true for these men's wives. I mean, at least in, at least in um, like urban Japan and rural Japan, it's a bit wiggly. I was reading about rural Japanese sex practices while I was uh, <laughs> doing some research about this because this is a bit of a side, but there's also been a notoriety in this story because it, I don't think it fully inspired him, but um, the man who committed uh, the most lethal uh, Japanese mass shooting um, in the most lethal mass shooting in Japanese history was writing an essay about Sada Abe when he killed 30 people um, in his village. So I was doing a little yeah. reading on that. But I will bring it back to with Chastity is kind of that sense in that in a lot of her relationships, she was like, well, you have a wife and you can do all this stuff. Why can't I? Yeah. And the men she was with were like, no. Yeah. It makes, oh my gosh, that uh, the rural Japan or rural Japanese um, like sexual stuff is like making me think of this one movie that I watched and it's like this old black and white Japanese movie about Japanese Ooh. peasants who are kind of starving but they get like really freaky and there's just like a lot of like incest and like going for the old woman and everybody's fucking everybody I wish I could remember the name of this, <laughs> but it's, but it was really interesting how like there was this like tacit understanding of like a bit of sexual fluidity and not like and a lack of exclusivity, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because um, a practice I was thinking about, which I'm sure this movie actually probably depicted, was called Yobai or Night Crawling. And it was um, in mostly in like rural villages and the rules kind of varied village to village, but the general vibe was at night, young unmarried men would just pop into the houses of like young and married yes. women and be like, what's popping? Do you yes. want to get to it? And yes. she'd be like, yes. Or she'd be like, no, she said, no, you left. You said, yes, you do it. And then everyone would pretend that it didn't happen. Yes. Because it wasn't what I read about, but they're like, the family may have known. And I'm like, no, if you look at the sides of Japanese houses at this time, no one did not hear yeah, what was going on. Exactly. They all just kind of went. It was not like there were, I mean, huh? it was all in like common areas or like yeah, there were no significant there. walls. <laughs> it was like you <laughs> so had to understand. Then, this was basically the way of dating in yes. a lot of like rural villages. You get married typically after you're, and you're like, this worked out for both of us. We're into it. Yeah. What I found fascinating was in like some villages, the practice varied. In some places, it was like, any woman post-puberty married or not you could run up in there and be like what's up and if her husband was in there and she was down you could do it um in some in some villages in fact like only married women and, and widows could be visited which i found especially fascinating because it was just ritualized cucking um in some customs it's like only men from your village could do it and if you were a visitor you like stay in your lane you can't do that but i found that so yes that was definitely depicted in the movie it was definitely like nighttime would come and they would like literally crawl in and like literally crawl into bed with somebody <laughs> like like this young guy would like crawl into bed with like this older lady it would just be like chill um it also makes me think a little bit of like dodeskidon 
um, which is one of like um, Kurosawa's movies um, mm-hmm. about this like it's like a a shanty town civilization it's like that takes place in like a junkyard and stuff and there is like this sexual fluidity um, like there's literally like a a couple two couples who are best friends and like the husbands keep like trading off the with the wives and stuff just like they just like like, stretch off on the night like they both get drunk together and then they go off to either their wives or they go off to the the friend's wife and they're like (laughs) goodbye friend i'll see you tomorrow enjoy my wife (laughs) enjoy my wife have fun Mm. Well, is there anything else? To that. That's yeah. That's not a thing anymore. Um, no, I do find it. <laughs> it's not funny, but I do find it kind of fascinating that of like all the adaptations, I was like, Sada Abe never got like a. I'm gonna say this from the speak it into existence. Never got like a manga or anime adaptation. Mm. Probably will now that I've said it. <laughs> We're gonna see the newest announcement, Sada Abe, the I anime. Want that. I want that by like the people who made Samurai Shampoo. Oh yeah. I think that'd be fun. I think that'd be very it'd be very sensitive. Yeah, I feel like it'd be you know? sensitive and I like the style and I like also just like the kind of I don't know, not noir mood, but like the it's a very like I don't know. It's very atmospheric, and I feel like this this story deserves that. <laughs> I think it's that vibe. I think it's. I hope I'm not wrong. Trailer shirts, Jinji Watanabe. They made Summer Shampoo and Cowboy Bebop and Big mm. <laughs> Sandy. I think it'd be a solid vibe. I would be. I would be excited to see that if it ever happened. Yeah. I mean, I think there are movies that are like kind of vibe wise inspired by the stories of like violence and sex and love from that period like um lady snowblood which is Ooh, one of yeah, my faves lady snowblood very good i was thinking so um if you watched kill bill and you loved it uh just tokyo decadence gotta shout out tokyo decadence <laughs> snowblood, or like the you watch it and you're like oh there's kill bill's plot yeah exactly <laughs> where he got that we see where the entire character of Oren Ishii came from. Also, 13 Assassins by um, Takeshi, Takeshi Meek, who did um, Itchy the Killer. There we go. Mm. It's more, it's not serious. <laughs> it's very, very much gratuitous gore. But it's so, it's not fun. Um, but it's fun. <laughs> it's fun if you're kind of like, desensitized to it yeah. and you're like ah, oh, wow but I mean it's very striking there's this one scene it's not a spoiler there's a scene I've like never forgotten because they're all they're all out to kill this one guy he sucks but he's rich so no one will do anything about him but he just he fucking sucks um that's a plot so one guy's like hey I need you to get 13 assassins <laughs> but this has got to be like off the books like legally if anyone asks I didn't back you anyone else who backs you like we can't be involved. There's one guy who helps him and then he commits Arikari right afterwards because if his like master found out that he did that when he wasn't supposed to, he would have died. But that guy had like wronged him in the past. He was like, yeah, I'll help you and then I'll die an honorable death. Very cool. Um, but they're like doing the secret assassin mission that everyone backs them, but no one can publicly back them on. And when they're trying to convince this guy to take this mission and he's like, what do I care about? Like some rich brat 
they're like look at all these horrible things he's done and he's like "Mm, okay (laughs) like i'm old i don't care and then they bring out this one girl um and she's in a kimono and she can't really talk and he's like what's wrong with her and then they didn't have to do it but i just seen it so burned into my memory they take off this kimono and she's like no arms and no legs and her tongue's cut out and then they're asking her like what happened like what Mm. did he do to her village and she's like painting with her mouth she's painting the candy with her mouth and then she holds it up and all it says is total massacre and i've just never (laughs) forgotten that just randomly in the day i'm like total massacre but very much those vibes i don't think anyone gets castrated unfortunately Makes me think another vengeance thing is like Ran too, because Ran definitely has that like vengeance plot line, like a woman who wants to fucking kill everybody and burn shit down. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sadaabi could have, but she just took out one person because she really and it was it was a passion, a passion, removal. (laughs) She couldn't bear with him being with anyone else but her and he literally had a wife so it wasn't like a maybe he'll sleep with someone else it was a definite so sucks it sucks when your one is married to somebody else what you gonna do but strangle him and cut out his genitals yeah we've all been there loving castration (laughs) loving castration if you've been castrated please dm me please dm teddy (laughs) tell me about it Hi everyone, so once again we are back with another Quickie and Clover's Corner. Um, So I'm going to go over some astrology and tarot, um, largely for our Aquarius poor children. Um, It seems as though Selena has a particularly soft place in Fairheart because um, Faye asked me to do yet another reading for you all. So I'm going to go in. I guess before I start, I'm going to vaguely go over some astrology that's going on currently that contextualizes what I've read. So basically, obviously, we are in Mercury retrograde through Aquarius. So what do we know about this? We know that Aquarius is a fixed sign, so fixed air with Mercury. It's not a really bad placement, but it does mean a lot of stubbornness, attachment to ideas, and kind of stagnance. So there's a level of um, kind of being at conflict with moving forward and being somewhat stuck in... um, kind of processing things and that's what retrogrades are about or I mean mercury retrograde especially is about processing things you are supposed to be spending this time doing anything in the re um viewing re visiting re thinking um before you move forward and it's just like a moment where you kind of pause ponder and like take stock take inventory so that's what we're doing that's what we're up to and Aquarius you all are really getting hit with this because Mercury passes over your sun um and I think for some of you this will happen twice so you'll have a conjunction with this energy it'll be a lot of clarity about things within your past um 
but it'll also seem as though maybe you will have a lot of great and bright ideas, but it's best not to move forward with them without a lot of careful consideration, and it may even be best to postpone until after retrograde. I do not advocate for waiting for retrogrades to end before you take action. I just advocate that you review. That's really like the major key is reviewing. So um, going in Aquarius, it looks as though um, there's a level of like balance that you're coming into, uh, but it's kind of from a place of not really considering everything. Uh, It's kind of a false thing whatever you may be experiencing could be just like um poorly propped up i guess because there's just like maybe you're making a lot of promises of things that you will be doing but you may not actually have enough to back yourself up with that or you may think that you could move faster than you actually will be able to and so you may be falling short in a lot of Um, situations there's a lot of energy and um, a lot of energies like pent up in your chart you do have like five planets sitting close together we also just came out of the new moon which passed over each of these planets including your sun um, before conjuncting the sun so there is a lot of like pent up energy but it's hard to express it as of now so this balance is very delicate and it may even result in a lot of irritability where you may not be expressing yourself in a constructive way um and so there's a need to pace yourself and also kind of take time away from people actually and go on your own journey within um kind of paying attention to everything that's been coming up in your dreams in your ideas what you've been um kind of like planning the egg you've been sitting on for the past month or like the past two weeks basically uh just like really um incubating that on your own definitely on your own um because there isn't really a harmonious energy coming out here and I kind of would see that being an especially big issue for this month. It may be hard to like keep optimism. There's a lot of intensity. Um, so yeah, there's a big call to just really lean into this like observation and dissection of self. Um, and to not really force harmony where there cannot be harmony because it may be that you have a lot of things that you need to process on your own before you can actually um like talk to other people productively i really am getting a lot of energy of tension and arguments so this could be going on for you and it's just a signifier that you may have a lot that you need to be handling independently and another thing is is just like anxiety can cause um, emotional dysregulation and I think it's a really intensely anxious period we all are really looking back on the past year and it's not been the greatest year ever for a lot of us so it's really hard to be um, looking at where we are now and 
um, remembering where we thought we would be last year now. So um, take that time for yourself and um, it'll end up being really good for you. It looks like you have like a lot of three of swords energy that you need to um, really pay attention to. You may have been like glossing over it, but this is definitely the time to go in. Um, it's really just looking like you have this personal journey that you need to go on. There's nothing really big. It's all an inward thing right now. So if you feel kind of like, why do I have all of these um, big ideas, all of this energy, and nothing's really coming to fruition, it's really just that you are being called to um, put all of that energy just towards yourself. So Take note of everything in a journal, write down all of your thoughts, and um, make sure that you are going in the direction that you need to be going in. Saturn is especially going to be grinding on you um, because you'll a lot of you will be having conjunctions with Saturn if you haven't already. And so if you want to really put yourself at ease, I would take a look at what your Saturn is calling you to do because... Um, that's really where the discomfort is likely coming from. Um, basically, it'll always comfort you to do whatever like the, I guess, malefic planet is asking of you. So um, those of you with like Pisces, Saturn's, um, it, it could be good to start incorporating like meditation or yoga or just like time to reflect in or that's specific to me because mine is in the sixth house so it also is good to have like a sort of physical um health-based activity involved in that but you know it changes from person to person but it's a good thing to pick up um but yeah in four different areas i'm having that you should just get away from everyone and like organize your thoughts and organize like the direction that you're headed in and remember to lie rely on your intuition and trust yourself because it does seem as though you all are on to something really big and really good um but you do need to recuperate be alone so that's all i have for you and i am sending you much love and um good luck it's a big year big solar return year for you all ciao well um where can we find you online and do you have anything you want to plug sure you can find me online on instagram at teddy b period ruxpin and on twitter at sick gnarly s-i-c-k-g-n-a-r-l-y um i do Will this come out before raising hell? You know, I could do that. I think um, there's a chance it might come out. <laughs> well, if it does, raising hell is on the 17th of February. If it doesn't, you missed it. Boo. Um, how dare you? You should have been there. Yeah. Um, and besides that, I do a show called Cool Cats Online. You can find us on Instagram at cool.cats.online. Um, we do shows um, alternating Fridays and Thursdays for shows a month. Bam. So much work. So much to check out. Got to check out that Why Won't You Date Me episode. And um, stay fresh, my friends. <laughs> That's the sign off today. Okay. Stay fresh, friends. All right. Well, have a good one, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
more money, I want your money, I want more money, 